Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. I had planned to begin preaching this series uh, two weeks ago, actually. We were going to have the Lord's Supper that day, and we had planned to do so safely. We had all kinds of alternate ways. We were going to gather and uh, take the Lord's Supper together. But as we got closer to Sunday, all day Saturday, we began to think that, that perhaps we might need to cancel this service. It was gut-wrenching. But by late Saturday afternoon, our session determined to cancel our gathering for that Sunday. We decided to do that uh, in order to love our community, to love our congregation and and be concerned over, over their health and safety and to protect them and to comply with what our government officials were saying in terms of what the right thing to do was. And as difficult of a decision as it was, in hindsight, even in hindsight, it was the right one. So last week, our first service we were able to record, we focused on Psalm 46, that God is our fortress. He is our hope. He is our strength. We felt it appropriate to to take a, a Lord's Day and to focus specifically on that. But today... I want us to begin and turn a corner. Not that this is over, of course not. But we as a church, it's time for us to continue and particularly, I'm convinced, to go into this book that God had led us to study. And I believe that you will see how very appropriate it is. We're not going to be preaching on coronavirus, but at the same time, God's Word always applies to what's going on in our situation. And I think you will see that with this book. One Renaissance scholar said this about 2 Corinthians. He said, Uh, It's like a river that sometimes flows quietly, sometimes sweeps everything along with it, and, and sometimes disappears into the sand only to emerge again unexpectedly. And the letter's been compared to an inexhaustible sea, too wide and deep to be surveyed and understood. So as we read this 
very first section, and we're going to focus just on the first two verses, but I think you will very quickly see how much this book is going to apply to us, even in this situation. 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Now, Lord, we would pray that you would open up your word to us. Help us to focus. There are even more distractions today than, than when we're all sitting in the sanctuary together. So, Lord, help us to focus upon your word. We want to, we need to hear from you by the power of your spirit, through your word, and will you apply it to our hearts and our lives? And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So as, uh, as we begin this series, let's first of all uh, look at, at who this, this letter was being sent to. And in order to do that, we need to to look at the, the city itself, but also it speaks of the church of God in Corinth. So to understand what kinds of things the church was facing, we need to know more about that, that city of Corinth. What was it like? Well, it was in Greece, 50 miles or so from Athens. It, it was an important city at the at the crossroads of all kinds of, of activity to travel north or south in, in Greece, you had to go through Corinth. It was, it was like a, a Charlotte uh, or uh, an Atlanta where it seems like you always have to go through there. And, and that's how Corinth was. It was a commercial gold mine. 
There were a lot of what they called nouveau rich, people that had accumulated a great deal of wealth. One commentator said uh, that that fact made it uh, so that Corinth was like one vast drunken sailor that all at once was rich with pay, squandering money on pleasure. It was the most immoral city in Greece and some say in the whole Roman Empire. One person said it was like a combination of New York's 42nd Street with the wealth of Beverly Hills. So you can see the challenges there. There were temple priestesses that were nothing more than than prostitutes serving so-called worshipers of Aphrodite daily. Corinth had, had everyone. It had merchants. It had philosophers. It had soldiers. It had businessmen, gangsters, educators. But until the Apostle Paul went there and planted the church, there was no preacher of Christ in Corinth. Now the letter is written to to the church. And that word church literally means called out ones or separate ones. Now, just to clarify, and it's not separate like, like we're separate today, but the whole sense of, of the church was being separate, not by proximity, but separate from the world that that church was living in. The church, you and me, were meant to be in the world, but not of it. So we're always going to be close in proximity to the world we're in, but our actions should not be close to those who don't know Christ. So, a logical question is, uh, how do we be the church in the middle of all this craziness that is going on right now? How do we fulfill what our, our calling is? And, and I can just tell you, that's what our staff and pastors have been talking about uh, for the last three weeks. We are praying about it. We are are planning, and we are trying to figure out what this means uh, for this time that we are this way. And we are seeing some creative things going on. I'll tell you just one thing, and that is our, our sewing ministry, and they're actually making, making masks that will be able to be used. They're made according to specification. Here, these ladies are using their gifts creatively during this time. And I'm hearing all kinds of people ministering to one another, and it's so encouraging to me. So, back to Corinth. We know from uh, the first letter, 1 Corinthians, which, by the way, if you're doing the reading challenge, you've, you've just been reading about that uh, in God's providence You've, you've read what kind of a, 
a, a, a church it was and the challenges that it had. And in fact, next week you'll begin reading 2 Corinthians again in God's providence. It had lots of issues, so many issues um, that, you know, things like divisiveness, uh, abuse of gifts, immorality, and worse than immorality going on, they were actually taking pride of their tolerance toward the sin and the immorality that was going on among the people of God. There was a misuse of the most sacred things, the Lord's Supper and worship. You know, sometimes uh, uh, you will be driving along and every once in a while, I've seen a few of these in, in my time, you'll see a, a church that has Corinth in its name, Corinth Baptist or, or Corinth whatever den- denomination. And whenever I see that, I think, why would you name yourself after those rascals? Because of it, it was basically a dysfunctional church. Now later, maybe we'll see why some have chosen to name themselves even after that kind of a church. In addition to uh, the church in Corinth getting this letter, it was also meant to be a circular letter, circulated to other churches in the area. Uh, the area was called uh, Achaia, so it was uh, addressed also to the saints in Achaia. So that would be an entire area. There's maybe 300,000 people in that area, so it would be a region, and the letter would then go from church to church, from gathering to gathering, so they would all be getting this information. And then we see Timothy mentioned here. Now, here's what we know about Timothy. He was one of Paul's disciples. He was much younger than Paul. He had actually taken the first letter to the church in Corinth. But we know historically, and from these two letters, that that first letter had very little impact, limited success, if you will. So some people feel like Paul used this occasion, specifically mentioning Timothy, to to make him a little more prominent and help reestablish him as Paul's representative. And then it speaks of Paul, the first part of, uh, of the first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. As I mentioned, Paul had uh, planted the church in Corinth. You can read about that in Acts 28. It was during his second missionary journey. But even with that, he had his detractors. In fact, some of his opponents had, had argued that, are you sure he should even really be an apostle? He has suffered so greatly. He's been unaccepted. He's been beaten. He's been imprisoned. Are you really sure he's a man of God? Maybe he's suffered too much to be one of God's apostles. 
So we'll see a lot about suffering in this letter. We'll also see his pastor's heart. And this may be, out of all of his letters in the New Testament, this may be his most personal letter. So Paul identifies himself as as an apostle. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That was a position. And typically, uh, when when we think of what qualifies someone to be an apostle, we would say there aren't any apostles in our day, at least not uh, like there were in the New Testament. The apostle uh, back then would be one that was called by Jesus, uh, would have been with him in his, during his ministry, and then would have seen the resurrected Jesus and been with him there as well. But we know that That wasn't really Paul's situation. In fact, he talks about, uh, in 1 Corinthians, his apostleship, but he acknowledges that it was was different. Remember, when Jesus would have been uh, in the midst of his ministry, when he was crucified, when he was resurrected, when he ascended into heaven, Paul was not yet a follower of Christ. So he doesn't really fit the the definition of what the other apostles uh, are defined by. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul kind of describes himself that way. He's, He's talking about the resurrection appearances, and he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 8, last of all, speaking of himself, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. He talks further about his background and and his history over in Philippians chapter 3. There he begins to list the things that would have really impressed those around him, not believers, but his Jewish friends and and even his Roman friends. He says this, I I have reason, he says in Philippians 3 verse 4, I have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he begins to list the qualifications. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, all of those things that I just read, and by the way, When those things were true of him, his name was Saul. It was before Christ. But they were were things that he trusted in before he came to Christ. They were his credentials, if you will. They were things that people would have admired him for, that would have given him real prominence. His world would have commended him because of those And they gave him a good reputation. And then Saul is met 
by Christ on the road to Damascus and everything changed. Saul became Paul, but more than that, he became a new creation. Listen to the rest of that passage, how he then describes those things he once trusted in. He says this in Philippians 3, 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. See, he says, I'm not trusting in those things those things that come from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He he was a new creation. He had a new heart. He had a new mind. Everything about him had changed. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 15, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. And then back to 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 2. And then we'll apply this. Look at his first words of encouragement. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's going to be our benediction in a few minutes today. Why grace and why peace? Why does he begin the letter in that way for these people that I have just described? So first, I think, because you have Paul. Paul, even though he had all these worldly credentials, he had nothing to commend him to God, but God saw fit to set his love on Paul anyway. That's grace. That's undeserved favor. And so you, you who are watching today, you're in that position as well if you are without Christ, with nothing to commend you to him. But here's what you need to know. That you can look at Paul and realize that no longer can you say, I've got too much history. I've done too much stuff in my life. God would never want to have a part of me. You know what? That's what they people, the Christians, thought about Paul. In fact, they thought that so much that it took some real convincing of them when when Christ did call him and, and made him a leader in the church. They were suspicious. But it showed God's grace. But here's another thing about that as we consider Paul. Paul, who was the terrorist, Paul that persecuted the church, 
and oversaw the death of believers. Consider that and know that you really don't have reason to give up on anybody in this life. Understand that. Most of us have somebody in our lives that we would say they're, they're so hard-hearted. It's, it's hard for me to imagine them coming to Christ. Paul, the terrorist, was given a new heart. Just remember, you cannot change anyone else's heart, and you can't change your own heart. Only God can do that. But don't give up on anyone. And then further, you have this church in Corinth. Paul planted it, but it it had become largely a, a dysfunctional church. But Paul still loved them as him being the pastor, and more importantly, Christ still loved them. Love them enough to die for them. The church here on earth is never perfect. We don't claim to be perfect. But there are some that choose not to be a part of the church because somewhere along the way, something was done to them by somebody who went to church or was in church. If that's the case for you, you may be looking at the wrong thing. Don't look at the followers of Christ. Focus on Christ. Jesus and Paul refused to give up on the church in Corinth. And Jesus has never given up on his church, and he never will. Then there's us. In and of ourselves, we have nothing to commend us to God, and yet he offers his great love to us anyway. And then he wants peace bestowed upon them. Paul is going to again and again point them back to Jesus as their greatest hope for peace. And it's ours as well. How important that is that we remember that, especially during this time. We're away from each other today, but thank God that we are not away from Christ and he is not away from his people. If you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, he is there with you today. And he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Listen to his words. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's bow together.
Lord, now we thank you for your grace and we ask you for your peace. We celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ and we thank you that he is with us and he will never, ever forsake us. Lord, will you help our hearts not to be troubled, help them not to be afraid, and we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.